Hello and welcome to another episode of Bright Future with your host Samuel Adams, but please call me Sam. This is a political and philosophical podcast that follows current events, primarily in the United States, but occasionally over the rest of the world as well. Here we look at our nations and our world's laws, views, people, and issues, our possible solutions to those issues, as well as how we might do better so that there may one day be a bright future. As always, the rules, one, do not insult others, but instead discuss and debate each other's arguments in a respectful manner, two, take into account new information, perspectives, and ideas, and keep your opinions flexible to match that, three, is Hanlon's razor, do not attribute to malice that which could be attributed to stupidity, four, is Occam's razor, keep in mind that simpler explanations that make the least assumptions are more likely to be correct, 5. Hitchens Razor, that which can be stated without evidence, can also be dismissed without evidence. However, there are exceptions to this for basic universal truths, like the Earth is an oblate spheroid and the derivative of x squared is 2x. And lastly, 6 is the Sagan Standard. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence to prove. While I do record these episodes live in a voice chat that anyone is free to join, this podcast is not popular enough yet to regularly have other members join to follow these rules. That being said, these rules do stand for the comments if you're listening to this on YouTube, or for the chat room if you're in my Discord server. They always apply, they also apply directly to me, and I always keep them in mind while writing and recording these episodes. With no further delay, let's begin. Unfortunately, due to a medical emergency, this week's episode isn't being recorded live, but instead, it's being recorded in post just on my own. Not to worry, though, it will still come out at the same time, though you're listening to this, so clearly it has come out at the same time. This week, though, I was planning on talking about two topics, so here's a double feature. The biggest thing I saw scrolling through the briefing room this week was three separate articles, all posted on October 6th. The articles were about Biden's new marijuana reform and pardon. Marijuana is quite the divisive topic, isn't it? It's the primary target for the war on drugs for several decades, but the younger generation tends to have a more permissive view of it. Marijuana contains both THC, the stuff that gets you high, and CBD, which acts as a painkiller and anxiety reducer. The amounts of these compounds in each strain of the plant varies, and each strain also contains other compounds that are also found in perfectly legal fruits and vegetables that I have in my fridge right now. Strains that have evolved in colder climates tend to have more CBD, and strains in warmer climates tend to have more THC. If properly legalized, it may become a miracle drug capable of treating everything from at least athlete's foot PTSD. However, the legality and morality of substances that alter your mental state has varied wildly throughout history. For example, you've probably consumed something today that used to be illegal. Coffee. King Charles II of England outlawed coffeehouses to quell a perceived rebellion. Makes sense, energized people in a gathering place can do a lot of thinking, like, why does the apple fall but not the moon, and hey, is monarchy really the best form of government for us? The Ottoman Empire even used to sew people into burlap sacks and throw them into the ocean for coffee-related violations. Alcohol has been debated in the past as well. In 1920, the United States added a constitutional ban on the production, importation, and transportation and sale of alcohol. However, it's important to note that the possession or consumption were not banned, which led to a fun loophole. 
grape juice was not restricted, and if allowed to sit, the juice would ferment and turn into a 12% wine. This resulted in grape juice production quadrupling, though with a warning on the labels. After dissolving the brick in a gallon of water, do not place the liquid in a jug away in the cupboard for 20 days, because then it will turn to wine. Kind of like putting a warning label on Clorox. Do not mix with ammonia or you'll make mustard gas. Exact statistics on how prohibition changed crime, health, and consumption of alcohol are hard to come by as the national statistics of those things were not taken before the 30s. There's a lot of speculation and educated guesses, but most of it seems contradictory as to whether it helped or hurt the American public. There's also a distinct difference between alcohol and caffeine. Alcohol is a depressant, it slows you down. It's great for winding down at the end of the day, but not so great for breakfast. On the other hand, caffeine is a stimulant, it makes you feel more awake. My job actually provides free coffee. Sure, it probably costs them in the short term, but if it leads to more productive employees, wouldn't it be worth it? Clearly, the same kind of laws shouldn't and don't apply to both alcohol and caffeine. Marijuana doesn't fit either category. It can be either a stimulant or a depressant based on the strain or how it's prepared. So, how's Biden handling it? Let's go to his statement. And, quote, As I often said during my campaign for president, no one should be in jail for just, just for using or possessing, or possessing marijuana. Today, I am announcing three steps that I am taking to end this failed approach. His first step is to pardon all federal offenses of simple possession of marijuana. And his second step is encouraging the governors of each state to do the same for state offenses. Before I get to the third step, I have a question. What counts as a simple possession? Well, a reporter I had had the same question. Here's the administration's answer. The category of charges are for simple possession of marijuana, and that is both under federal law and the D.C. Code. There is a particular statute. The Justice Department will create an administrative process for pardoned individuals to obtain a certificate of pardon, so they have the documentation that they can show to law enforcement, employers, and others as needed. Okay, cool. Didn't answer the question, though. What kinds of charges are being pardoned? Saying that there's a particular statute doesn't help if you don't tell us what statute it is. And this is coming from the White House website. If I can't get the answer from here, where am I going to find it? Is it up to the news stations and I to just guess? Also, is pardoning someone for possession also pardoning them for all other crimes they're currently serving time for? Oh, wait, maybe the proclamation on granting a pardon will help. Let's read that one. I, Joseph R. Biden Jr., do hereby grant a full, complete, and unconditional pardon to all current United States citizens and lawful permanent residents who committed the offense of simple possession of marijuana. Okay, so let's say that I murdered a guy, and when I was arrested, I also had some weed on me. In addition to murder, I'd also be charged with a simple possession. I'd probably be serving life for the murder charge with the possession just kind of tacked on as an afterthought, but instead I'd be getting a, quote, Full, complete, and unconditional pardon. Man, it's a good thing I had that baggie on me to get slapped with that minor secondary charger. This pardon wouldn't apply to me in my first-degree murder. And the best part? Quote again, 
which pardon shall restore them to a full political, civil, and other rights. I, the murderer, can vote again. Oh, and own a firearm. Biden's proclamation continues, My intent by this is to pardon only the offense of simple possession of marijuana. Oh, no, there's that word again. Intent. Last time I discussed that word, I was talking about how the Inflation Reduction Act was not intended to raise taxes on those who make less than $400,000 a year. Yes, that exact wording is in the bill which has passed into law. I'll get back to you how well that one's going next tax season. This being said, the pardon isn't necessarily a bad idea. If, if implemented properly, this could be a major stepping stone to legalizing a safe, controlled ver version of marijuana for public use. There would have to be other steps as well, of course. So, what was Biden's third step in that plan? Quote, I am asking the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the Attorney General to initiate the administrative process to review how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. Reviewing and changing laws surrounding marijuana to custom fit it is, instead of just putting it in the stimulant or depressant categories, is a good plan. Of course, we would also want to add some basic laws like not driving while intoxicated and FDA safety standards for production, and if done properly, marijuana could be a beneficial substance to a happy and healthy society. It's a real shame our current executive branch isn't capable of doing anything properly. So that's what's happening on the political side. What about the philosophical side? A few weeks ago, a new show showed up on Netflix, Cyberpunk Edgerunners. This section will have major spoilers for this anime, and if you haven't seen it, don't spoil it. Despite its rather mediocre trailers, the show itself is incredible. And don't just take my word for it, after the show released, it led to over 20 million purchases of the game Cyberpunk 2077, which has the same setting, and single-handedly guaranteed that there will be a sequel game codenamed Project Orion. It would really, really not be a good idea to ruin this show with spoilers, so either skip this bit, to, or go watch it, and then come back. You back? Okay. Where do I begin? The show has a lot to unpack. Night City, uh, Night City and all media set there, including Edgerunners, 2077, the tabletop RPGs, books, and more, shows a dystopian future with so many different themes and warnings it would be impossible to tackle them all with the depth and severity that they demand. On the surface, it's like V for Vendetta meets 1984 with a lot more neon. It's important to note that because this world was originally created by Mike Pondsmith back in 1988, we've actually now passed a lot of the major events that have happened in this universe, like the founding of Night City. The original tabletop game even took place in 2013. That being said, many of the warnings in this story still stand, and it's also particularly interesting because instead of just being one book warning of a possible dystopian future like George Orwell's 1984, it's multiple forms of media being carefully crafted over decades to create its modern form. As a result, this world hits all the main themes for a dystopia with an extreme attention to detail. The show Edge Runners touches on a lot of them, high crime rates, subscription services to medical care, largely ineffective public law enforcement, horrendous leasing practices, extreme perversion, and more. Even the economy divide is obvious, 
there's no middle class. The main theme the show addresses, however, is a condition called cyberpsychosis. Technology in Night City has advanced in such a way that you can replace parts of your own body with cybernetic implants. However, if you start to replace too much of your meat with chrome, you'll start to lose touch with your humanity. This, as well as other adverse medical effects, are kept at bay by using immunoblockers. I really appreciate that detail, because if you get a transplant or even a real-life cybernetic implant like a pacemaker, your body will recognize that it's not part of you, and your immune system will reject it, try to break it apart, and pass it out of your body through your bloodstream. In order to prevent this, because that transplanted kidney is kind of keeping you alive, doctors will prescribe something that will suppress your immune system. You'll probably need to take that for the rest of your life, and it does mean that you'll be more likely to get sick, but it's better than kidney failure. The anime shows us four separate occasions of people going cyber-psycho. The intro scene, where the gang encounter one randomly. Oh, sorry, the intro scene, and then another section where the gang encounter one randomly, when the gang's leader, Maine, becomes one, and when David finally succumbs to psychosis after donning the ultimate implant, the Cyber Skeleton. Of these four psychos, we only get a lot of detail about Maine and David. As Maine and David start to crack, they seem to experience some kind of flashback. For Maine, we see he's flashing back to a younger version of himself, walking endlessly on a road in the Badlands. He's mostly unaware of what he's doing in real life and sees other people as a kind of shapeless collection of black pixels, making it impossible for him to distinguish friend from foe. After accidentally killing his own romantic partner, he detonates an entire building to put a stop to his rampage and take down a lot of law enforcement at the same time. David's story has a lot more detail. Early on, David and his mother were involved in a traffic accident, where a group of tiger claws shot through their car to strike a car on the opposite side. They were just caught in the crossfire. When trauma team arrives, they only rescue the person in the other car who was shot. They leave David and his mother dying on the pavement because they aren't subscription members. When David finally snaps, his primary goal is to rescue his girlfriend, Lucy, who's been kidnapped by a man named Faraday. David rescues her and starts to crush Faraday, but is distracted before he finishes him off. Faraday manages to crawl away while David's distracted and trauma team arrives to save him. Upon seeing the same corporation that left his mother to die, David fully snaps. He obliterates them all and buys enough time for the rest of his team to escape before finally being finished off. The show directly tells us that cyberpsychosis is caused by having too many implants. Contrary to this, though, the thing that caused David to snap didn't seem to have to do anything with his cybernetics, but instead by encountering a past trauma. The cyberskeleton certainly contributed, but another character, Adam Smasher, is 96% mechanical. He's basically a brain with the rest of his body replaced by robotics, and he hasn't gone psycho. In the game, there's even TV shows about doctors saying that cyberpsychosis, while correlated with cybernetic implants, isn't necessarily caused by it. So, what is actually causing it? Again, in the game 2077, there's a mission called Psycho Killer, where you're tasked with going around the city and taking down various cyberpsychos. Preferably, preferably, you should do this non-lethally, because the person who hired you, Regina, says there's a new study saying that cyberpsychosis can be treated or even cured. 
As you knock them down, you're also tasked with learning more about what caused them to go psycho. There's a total of 17 of them, so I won't talk about all of them, but I'll go over a few. One of the first ones I came across was a homeless veteran who seemed to be suffering from PTSD. However, his treatment for it was cancelled and he no longer had access to his medication, resulting in a snap where he started sniping at civilians from his tent atop an unfinished overpass. Another psycho I came across seemed to snap after continued harassment from a corporation resulted in the larger company using some version of eminent domain to basically steal his smaller business from him. The third I'm going to tell you is easily the worst. Arasaka, a corporation so large that it basically owns Japan, has ties with a gang called Maelstrom, who's obsessed with cybernetic implants. From archived conversations and flavor text, my understanding is that Arasaka seems to have encouraged a group of Maelstrom to form some kind of cult ritual, where they had a woman dive as deep as possible into the net while a group of men surrounding her committed suicide. I mention this one because after you take her down, Regina marks in your conversation that women don't get a cyberpsychosis as often as men, making this one a true oddity. Through all 17 psychos, only three are women. But implants are inanimate objects, so why would cyberpsychosis disproportionately affect men? In addition, all of the psychos we encounter have some reason to snap that has nothing to do with their implants. Maybe they contribute, but they certainly don't cause the condition. What might actually do that? When someone goes psycho, their immediate target almost always seemed to be whatever wronged them. For David, it's trauma team. For Maine, it's the intangible and vague exhaustion and dehydration from running in the desert, appearing as pixelated black blobs. In the game, one psycho solely targets Tiger Claws as one of them kills his friends for fun. Another, suffering from PTSD, attacks nomads with a sniper rifle, perhaps visualizing them as an enemy from back in the war. The only thing in common seems to be that they're reacting negatively to a bad aspect of their world. All the little horrid things that stack up until one of those things is just too much to handle. Which leads me to a review I found on YouTube. It's titled, Cyberpunk Edgerunners Predicts, Predicts a Dystopian Future. The thing about dystopian novels set in the future is that they're usually meant as a warning, a logical series of events that lead from now to the horrid world that we really don't want to be a part of. But this dystopian world was made in the past, and when it was made, it was set in 2013. This world can no longer predict a future because we've already passed the starting point for that universe. Cyberpunk Edgerunners doesn't predict a dystopian future, Instead, what if it exaggerates a dystopian now? In Night City, David's story is widely known. He even has a drink named after him at the Afterlife Club, a truly high honor that's only ever awarded posthumously to the greatest legends, like Johnny Silverhand, who set off a pair of nukes in Arasaka Tower, and Jackie Wells, whom everyone believes died killing the CEO of Arasaka. What if the cyberpsychosis that David fell victim to isn't limited to fiction? Stack enough misfortune on someone and eventually they won't be able to take it, fictional or not. They would become desperate, willing to do anything to change their situation, like a cornered animal. They might even resort to extreme measures, like turning a bulldozer into a tank, mailing anthrax to government officials, or even murder and eat other people. And when these people push to the brink, commit these atrocious acts. 
Will we also call them legends? Well, the Dahmer and Anthrax attack documentaries have been in the top 10 on Netflix for a few weeks now, so guess we do. But if a lot of little things wrong with our world drove these people to commit these acts, how could we actually fix those problems without terrorizing people first? In Cyberpunk, Johnny Silverhand attempted to exact revenge by first starting a band, and when that didn't get the desired effect, two thermonuclear charges set off in the heart of the most populated area of Night City. Why? Quote, I do what I do not because capitalism is a thorn in my side or out of nostalgia for an America gone by. I saw corpse strip farmers of water and then of land. Now they're after our very souls. I do what I do because this is a people's war against the fucking forces of entropy. But as he points out, you can't change people's minds by blowing them up. Johnny's actions have wherever marked him as a terrorist, and deservedly so. Instead, how should we try to affect change in our world? I hate cliffhangers, don't you? Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Bright Future. Feel free to comment in if you're watching this episode on YouTube, or discuss this and other topics in my Discord server with me and other listeners. Anyone, even you, are free to join in when these episodes are recorded at 7pm Central every Monday. They're also recorded live on Twitch at The Storm AI. The episodes are then released every Tuesday at 6pm Central, so I'll see you back here next week.